I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And if you turn the page, Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, and we'll read uh, this morning through verse 24. This also is God's Word in which we uh, delight. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that the kindness of God leads you toward repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when His righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give each person according to what He has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. You see, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they don't have the law since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts now accusing or even defending them. And this will take place in the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Now, you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know His will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have the law, in the law, an embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So far the reading of God's uh, holy word. Congregation and uh, friends of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, last time we uh, went through the book of Romans, we spent quite a bit of time on only uh, three verses. Uh, So it's going to be important for us to uh, be reminded of where we are in the book. Of course, we don't want to lose the forest 
for the trees. We don't want to get uh, stuck on three verses and lose the uh, broader context, and so we have to review that a bit this morning. You saw, as we read again from chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, that Paul stated, the Apostle Paul stated the main theme of his letter, uh, the main point of his letter, and that was the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said in verse 16 of chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Now remember what Paul's thinking about when he uses the word gospel. When he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he's not merely thinking of some uh, doctrines or some teachings, but he's thinking of something that happened. He's thinking of an event in world history, specifically the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and especially the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, which secured that the creation would be glorified. Because, of course, as we've said over and over again, when the world was created, even before Adam had fallen into sin, the world had not yet been glorified. It was still possible, and of course it happened, it was possible before Adam sinned that the world could become corrupted. Adam was able to sin. But you see, the world wasn't created to stay in that place forever. It was to be glorified. And it was to come to the place where nothing could change the beauty of the creation. And you see, when Paul talks about the gospel, he's saying that Christ came to bring that glorification. That's something that happened. He came into history. That power of God broke into the world when Christ was risen from the dead. That's what Paul means when he's talking about the gospel. It's an event. Christ came. He was risen. It's something that happened. And then Paul says, look, when you're looking at the gospel event that has happened, that I am preaching to you, there are a couple of things that you see. And the first is in verse 17. In the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. In that gospel event, a righteousness from God is revealed. And what did that mean? That meant that Christ is the one who came. And what you see with Christ is that He is the only one in the history of mankind who has been obedient to the commands of God. And then He submits Himself, when He comes, to death on a cross. So He sheds His blood for the sins of His people. He lives a perfect life which He then gives to them and that is the way that people may stand in judgment. And the only way, the righteousness that comes from God. You must be clothed in the perfect obedience that Christ did. You must have His blood covering your sins. That righteousness was revealed. It broke into history in the Gospel. But that's not the only thing that was revealed in the Gospel. Verse 18, the wrath of God in the Gospel is also being revealed says Paul. We said there was a dark, ugly side to the great gospel event, wasn't there? Revealed something very dark and very ugly. And that was what? Revealed the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. You see, in the death of Christ especially, what is revealed is how angry God must be at the sins of the human race. Now we ask, why in the world would the Apostle Paul, having uh, witnessed as Christ appeared to him and made him alive, 
having witnessed this great gospel event and now preaching the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, why would he want to spend so much time as he does beginning in chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 20? Why would he want to spend all of this time talking about the wrath of God being revealed in this gospel event? I mean, it's a downer. It's not the positive side. It's the dark, ugly side. And why would he want to do it? Why do you have to hear about it again this morning? And the answer was what? You cannot participate in the glorification that Christ secured in the Gospel unless you understand and acknowledge your place in the fallen sinful creation and that you deserve, instead of glorification, the terrible wrath of God. Paul spends the better part of the first section of the book of Romans talking about sin and guilt because without understanding that and acknowledging your place personally in that guilt and that shame and that sin, you cannot have your place in the glorification which Christ earned for His people. Now last time, in the end of chapter 1, Paul gave us a a broad sweep of uh, the view of humanity and the sinfulness of the human race. But this morning in chapter 2, he is going to address a specific group of people who were not believing that they had a place in the fallen creation or that they were responsible and were only due the wrath of God uh, for their sin. Paul already addressed that in general, but he's talking to a specific group this morning. Let me tell you how this applies to you. The group to which, uh, or the group which Paul is addressing this morning, is a group of religious people in the church. He is addressing, in fact, the Jews who had a long heritage of the oracles of God. They knew the word of God of the Old Testament. In fact, these Jews to whom Paul is writing were actually professing faith in Jesus Christ. They weren't like the Jews who had rejected Christ. These were actually Jews who had come to the Christian church and said, "Yes, we are Christians." and they were religious people, and yet they had a specific challenge to putting themselves in the place of the wrath of God, seeing themselves as as ones who deserved the wrath of God and who actually were guilty and shameful by nature before God. You see, they were challenged. And if they were challenged, I'm certain that all of us as religious people, as churchgoers, as professing Christians, will always be challenged to sort of separate ourselves from really thinking that we're that bad or really thinking that we deserve the wrath of God as terribly as some of the other people in the world do. So that challenge that you have, you know, the challenge to not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, it's a challenge that I have, uh, was a challenge to the Jews in the church Now, you remember a couple of things about the context here to help us understand exactly what he's saying to them. You remember that uh, he talked about, for example, in chapter 1, verse uh, 25, uh, what the root of human depravity and sin is. The problem with the human race is what? That they exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and they worshipped and served the created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Idolatry. Idolatry is at the root of the sin of the human race. God has revealed Himself and yet mankind sees the obvious truth about God 
and suppresses that truth, pushes it down in wickedness. That's at the root of the sin of the human race. And then what happens after that? Well, we saw that in three places. Uh, Romans 1.24, God gave them over in their sinful desires. 126, God gave them over to shameful lusts. And then verses 28 and 29, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. So in the heart of every man, in the heart of mankind, is that idolatrous nature which forsakes the true God and puts other things in, its, in His place. And then God has given the human race over to all kinds of sin and depravity. So here's where chapter 2, verse 1 comes in. If you are a Jew who is sitting in the Roman church and hearing this letter read to you, what you are thinking is, yes, Paul, you're right. When I look around at all of the world, beside the Jews, even they might say beside the Jews who believe in Christ, when I look around at all the rest of the world, you're right, Paul, they're all idolatrous. They don't believe the true God. And not only that, look at how they live their lives. They're totally filled with wickedness in all the ways that we recounted from Romans chapter 1 uh, last time. Yes, they say to Paul. Paul addresses them and says, chapter 2, verse 1, Look, you got no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. Why? Because you who pass judgment do the same things. The key to understanding Paul's argument here to these uh, Jews who are professing uh, to be Christian is to understand what they, how they understood that they were going to be part of the glorification in the end. Why did these Jewish uh, people who were professing faith in Christ uh, think that they were different from the rest of the world? Why, when they heard this list in chapter 1, did they say, yeah, that's how everybody else is, but for us, that's not true? Well, let's see if we can't figure that out. There was a, um, a writing that was circulating in the early church, uh, was circulating among the Jews. It was probably written by an Alexandrian Jew. It's called uh, the Book of Wisdom. Uh, it's one of the uh, apocryphal books uh, used by the Roman Catholic Church. So, of course, uh, this book in and of itself is not inspired by God, but it gives us a good idea of some of the religious thought of the Jews that were living uh, prior to and around the time of Christ. It could have been written anywhere from uh, the 5th century B.C. to the 2nd century B.C., but that's not important. What's important is to understand that what I'm going to read uh, to you is a fair representation of what Jewish Christians, some Jewish professing Christians, were believing at this time about why they were going to be right with God in the judgment and others were not. This is what Wisdom, chapter 13, verse 1 says. It says, yes, naturally stupid are all who are unaware of God and who from the good things they see have not been able to discover Him who is or by studying His works have not recognized the artificer. In other words, they're saying just what Paul had said about idolatry. They're saying, yeah, it's stupid. People in the world, they see the obvious things that God has made. They see His uh, testimony in the creation, but they reject Him. And they're stupid. Wisdom 14, verse 9. And God holds all those godless and all of their godlessness in equal hatred. Both work and workmen will be alike. Speaking there specifically of those who carve out idols. The idols will be destroyed along with those who 
Worship them, says the Jew. Wisdom, chapter 15, verse 1. But you, our God, are kind and true, slow to anger, governing the universe with mercy. Even if we sin, who's we? We meaning the Jews. Even if we sin, we are yours since, why? Since we acknowledge your power. But we will not sin, knowing that we count as yours. What does it mean to know you? To know you is indeed the perfect virtue. And to know your power is the root of immortality. We have not been duped, verse 4 of Wisdom, chapter 15. We have not been duped by inventions of misapplied human skill or by the sterile work of painters, by figures daubed with assorted colors, the sights of which set fools yearning and hankering for the lifeless form of an unbreathing idol. Lovers of evil and worthy of such hopes are those who make them, those who want and those who worship them. Why did the Jew, whom Paul was addressing in chapter 2, verse 1, think that they would stand in the glorification in the last day? Why? The answer was what? Even if we sin, we are yours. Why? Since we acknowledge your power. Since we know you, because that is indeed the perfect virtue. And since we know your power, that is the root of immortality. So the Jew was thinking this, you see. Basically, you can sum it up three ways. I have special favor from God because the true God has specially revealed Himself to my people. You see, God, who is the great judge of the universe, says the Jew, didn't reveal Himself to everybody and every race as He did to the Jews. And so therefore, because I have this truth about God revealed to me and I know that He's the only true God therefore I will stand before Him in judgment. He obviously has that special favor toward me merely because He has given me His law, the Old Testament the prophets He made us His special people look at the Old Testament history the Jew would say. He protected our nation I mean, there were mighty armies that came up against us. Look what happened to Egypt and the Pharaoh when they pursued us. They were drowned in the sea. I mean, how can you not conclude from our history that we will stand in the glorification because God has been especially merciful to us as a nation? In fact, He was so merciful to us that He showed us very clearly how we ought to live. He gave us His law, which said, do this, do this, do this, and you will live. And they said, look, what other nation has the law of God like that? And now we have this law. We have been privileged. We have this special favor of receiving this law. And so we know the way that we may obey the law, and now we may live in the glorification because we have it. And nobody else has this special favor. This is what the Jew is thinking when he hears that list. He says, yeah, that's all true of all of the pagan nations and all of the other people of mankind. But for us, it's different. Why? Because we know what's right and we know what's wrong because God has told us. And we know that their God is the true God. Paul describes that kind of thinking actually as judging the other people. Why? 
the Jew who says, I am not idolatrous, I am not wicked because God has shown me all this special favor, is missing the obvious point that they do the same kinds of things that everybody else in mankind has done. Let me explain this more personally for us. Religious people that sit in church week by week, you know, they, they read the newspaper during the week too, right? And they watch the news. And they see on the news, and they see in the newspaper, and they see their neighbors and the people around them, and they say, man, you know, there's some real immoral lives. You know, they, I mean, unlike us, right, they, they don't even know the true God. I mean, when they think of the Bible, I mean, they think it's just some, you know, some man-written book where people chose what went in and what didn't. And there's a lot of religions. But we're Christians. We know what the Bible says. We know the true God. And we know what's right and wrong. And the sad thing is that a lot of people who sit in church week by week think that, oh, because I know what's right and wrong, because the true God has revealed Himself to me, basically, I just have to align my life with the things that He tells me to do and I will be right with God in the judgment. If I just try to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind and strength and try to love my neighbor as myself, then in the last day, because God has been so favorable to me to show me all of this, I will have tried, sure it wouldn't have been perfect, but I will have tried and I will stand before God. Unlike all those sorry people out there in the world who are completely living the lie. And the big stupidity of that, the big stupidity of that is that they fail to see and we're always challenged to see that we violate that law of God daily. That though the people in the world who have not had the true God revealed to them in the same way and have not had the law of God revealed to them in the same way, the actions that they take against the God who created them are the same actions that we take. You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, you're not going to be right with God. Gentiles, because what? You don't have the law. You don't know the true God. You don't have recognize His power and immortality. You who pass judgment and think that they won't stand because they don't have a certain measure of obedience and knowledge, you are judging yourself if you think you will stand that way. Because you who are judging practice the same things, says Paul. You're condemning yourself. Verse 2, you know... We know it's true that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So Paul's not saying he wants to engage this Jewish uh, professing Christian here. He says, you know, it's true, right? That anyone who practices those evil acts I spoke of in chapter 1 will be judged according to the law of God. We agree with that. And the point of that is, verse 3, when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things do you think you will escape God's judgment? So let me ask you this morning. Why are you going to stand in the glorification? Why are you going to stand in the judgment day of God and live? If you think it's because you're different because you know what's right and you know what's wrong and you do your best, you will not stand in the judgment day of God any more than the most filthy idolater and sinner will. You know, to think that would be, verse 4, to be showing contempt for the riches of God's kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance. Was God kind in giving the Jews the knowledge of Himself? Was He kind in revealing His law to them? Yes, He was. Right? Of course He was kind in doing that. But what they were supposed to understand 
from receiving that law, uh, the kindness and the patience and the tolerance that he was showing them in giving them, uh, of revealing himself to them and revealing his law, what they were supposed to understand was that they were sinful too. And that they were to repent from the view that they could do anything to get themselves right with God of their own works. I mean, we talk about this all the time in our church, don't we? Because we have the Heidelberg Catechism. The first section says what? Um, You know, what three things must you know to live and die in the true comfort? The first thing is this. uh, How great my sins and miseries are. And it asks, how do you know how great your sins and miseries are? And it says, from the law of God. So the Jews received the law of God, which says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, and you will live. And what they're supposed to see when they read the law is, just like you're supposed to see when you read the law of God, anything in God's Word that tells you what to do, this is what you're supposed to think. Oh, I don't do it. Oh, I see that I have failed, and therefore I deserve to be condemned. The law shows us our miseries. But you see, some people twist the law. And all the law is to them is, oh, if I just do this as hard as, I, as best as I can, then I will be received by God. In fact, the Christian faith to a lot of people is that. A lot of church people. I just try. I do my best. I love God. That's not Christianity. You're passing judgment on yourself when you say that. You'll be standing in the last day before God saying, I tried. I did what you asked me to do, at least as best as I could. And there will be only judgment. The same kind of judgment that comes on those who you maybe view as the most filthy sinners and idolaters. Uh, But the point is, the law should have showed them that they could not obey the law and so they would have had to repent from the view that they could get themselves right with God and look to God to send them a righteousness from Himself as many of the Old Testament saints did. Many of the Old Testament saints did not look to the law and their own obedience to be saved. They looked forward to the promised Christ who was coming. They knew that they couldn't do it on their own. But the unbelieving Jews and the unbelieving Jews who were professing to be Christian against whom Paul is writing, verse 5, because of their stubbornness and unrepentant heart, Paul says, you're not listening to the law. Your heart is of stone. When God tells you to live, uh, to act perfectly and then live, you're supposed to recognize you don't do it. But you're stubborn. You're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when His righteous judgment will be revealed. Because at the end of the day, says Paul, at the end of the day, verse 6, God will give each person according to what he has done to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. At the end of the day, says Paul, God will judge based on works. He who has done perfectly will live. And verse 8, But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For those who do evil, they will be judged according to what they have done. But glory, honor, peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. Paul says, listen, the judgment, the law is this, that God will reward based on what you have done. 
And if you understand that God will reward based on what you have done, then you will recognize that you in and of yourself cannot stand in the judgment and live. God is just. He rewards according to what mankind has done. And unless you are perfect, you will not have eternal life in and of yourself. This is what he's trying to get the Jew to believe. This is what he's trying to get religious church people to believe. That they cannot, by their being religious, or trying to be good, or trying to obey God's law, stand in the judgment. Please, believe this, hear this. God does not show favoritism. You see, it would be favoritism for God to say, oh, okay, you churchy religious person who went to church and sung his praises and had God revealed to you and you tried to do your best, uh, you, even though you've had some sins, I will accept you based on what you've done as opposed to the other one who never heard of me, who was uh, openly you know, worshipping other gods, defiling me, sinning their whole life. I won't accept them, but I'll accept you. See, that would make God uh, a God who plays favorites and he doesn't do it, says Paul. You see, all man by nature is dead in sin. Verse 12, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. You see that? Any Gentile who never even saw the law of God as he had revealed it in his word, they'll die apart from the law. Why? Because they're accountable to God who created them. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things required by the law, you see it today. Unbelievers do things, what? They have, people never even come to contact with the Scripture at all. Never even heard the name of the true God. Never even heard of Christ. And they do good things. They help people across the street. They raise their children. They try and do what's right in some cases. What does that prove, says Paul? It says, the same law, the same law, verse 15, the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts accusing or even defending them. The same law is written on their hearts. And the point is, you who have the law and you who don't have the law are all under the same law. It's God's law and it requires that you be perfect and you be good in order to stand before Him. Not just that you hear it, church people, but that you be found with a perfect righteousness. It is not, verse 13, those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight or merely hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. You see, Paul is driving home the point that God judges in the last day based on obedience to his law. And the only people who will stand before him are those who have perfect obedience uh, to that law, Jew or Gentile. And that should cause all of us to say that in and of ourselves we have absolutely no hope to stand and live in the judgment. Romans 3, verse 9. What shall we conclude? Are we any better than anyone else? No. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike, all of us, are all under sin. As it is written, there's no one righteous, not even one. Romans 3, verse 20, No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law, that is, by being good, or trying to, in our case, trying to live the Christian life, trying to be religious. No one will stand before God in the judgment because of that, because through the law, 
rather, we became conscious of sin. The law shows us that we're sinful and that we cannot stand in and of ourselves in that perfect, righteous uh, judgment. So teach yourself. Teach yourself. Verse 17. If you call yourself a Jew, if you call yourself a religious person, says Paul, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, have you seen Christians do this? This is obnoxious. When Christians talk about how holy they are, And people, uh, teachers and leaders, give you stories of all of the, you know, the good, goodness of their lives in the Lord and you know, their recent uh, conquering over this and that. Uh, you who call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know His will and approve of it what is superior because you are instructed by it, if you are convinced that you're a guide for the blind, and a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law, nobody else has this, those religious people say, but we do. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, don't you realize that you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, don't you realize that you commit adultery? Remember what Jesus said? He said that, you know, you have heard that it was said uh, long ago, thou shalt not commit adultery, right? And I know what all you guys are thinking, said Jesus. You know, what you're thinking is that that means as long as you haven't outwardly committed the act of adultery, you know, that you've somehow obeyed this commandment. And he says what? I'll tell you the truth. If a man even casts a, a, a lustful thought against a woman, he's guilty of violating this law. And that's the same thing Paul's trying to get these people to do. He says, look, you who say that people should not commit adultery, don't you, look, don't you even recognize the lust in your own heart and that you are the same in and of yourself before God as somebody who is the most outward adulter, uh, adulterous person? Don't you realize that? I mean, Church of Jesus Christ is listening to this message this morning. Don't you realize when you are looking at the world, you're watching the news, and you get so disgusted by all of the things you see out there, don't you see by nature that you do the same things? Maybe not in the same form. Maybe not as outwardly. Maybe less and less as you have been made alive by Christ now and go forward into repentance. But don't you realize you're part of that same fallen human race and that by nature you're no different from those people? You see, if you don't acknowledge and recognize that you are, if you don't take your place in that fallen creation, then you've got no place in the glorification because you are relying on yourself to be justified. You who abhor te- idols, do you rob temples? He's asking the Jew there, you know, you condemn all these people like we read in Wisdom, you know, who make idols with their hands and you say, oh, they're so stupid. We believe in the true God. And at the same time, they're so quick to pervert worship and the purity of the worship as God has revealed it in His Word and church people today the same way. Oh, we never worship a false God. Well, yeah, but you do anything you want in a worship service even though God hasn't commanded it. You let anybody stand up there and say anything that they want. You rob temples. It's a phrase representing false worship. Verse 23, You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? Don't you see... 
that you break the same law which you claim is going to lead you uh, to have the knowledge to be able to obey that God will accept you? The answer is yes, you do break the law, you do disobey. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better than anyone else? Not at all. We have made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. So what do we do then? If it's not those who just hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law who will be declared righteous, how can any of us stand? That's the question you should be asking. Well, fine, Paul. Fine, pastor. You say everybody by nature cannot stand in judgment because nobody does what God requires and he will judge based on works. How can I stand? You can stand in Christ. Christ, the one who came to earth and he perfectly obeyed all of these laws and commandments and then shed his blood to pay the penalty for his children who disobey these commandments. And you can stand in the judgment by fleeing and putting your trust in Christ and saying, I have nothing to bring, Christ. I need the good works that you have done to be mine so that I can stand in the judgment. And I need your blood to take away the sin and the shame and the guilt of all of my sins. And I'll tell you what, if you've been a Christian for 50, 75, 90 years, if you've never trusted in Christ, the promise is sure for you this morning that if you put your faith and trust in Him, if you cast yourself upon Him again this morning and flee to His life and His blood, His righteousness and His blood is yours and you will stand because He has done the law perfectly for you. And to that all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, that uh, you save uh, even religious people like us who are challenged always uh, because we would tend to think that uh, because we're different, because we know your law and we know the true God, that that's what makes us right with you, per se. But we know that it doesn't because we who would condemn, and rightly so, uh, the wicked acts of the sinful human race uh, we recognize in our own lives, even as Christians made alive by your Spirit, that we, we still do those things which we speak so strongly against. And so we confess, uh, Father, our sin again to you this morning. And we thank you for Christ who lived and died for us. And uh, we thank you that he suffered and struggled through all of those times when he was sorely tempted and had the weight of the world on his shoulders, and yet uh, he was without blemish, and he withstood uh, for us. And we praise you for his work, and thank you for his uh, love for us. And uh, we pray that you would keep us always looking to him. For those this morning, Father, who are especially struggling with their sin, or who are convicted that they have neglected your law, and uh, neglected of the salvation that may be found in Christ, would you encourage their hearts to know that Christ uh, will still uh, have them? And would you, uh, by your Spirit, strengthen them in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus? 
for those who uh, cling to Christ, would we do so all the more and never come off as uh, arrogant as if we have a righteousness from ourselves. We ask these things uh, through Christ our Lord. Amen.